Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. Get ready to hear from your favourite Instagram gardeners, allotmenteers, flower farmers and plant gurus on this season of the podcast. We'll be hearing people's stories of how they discovered the joy of gardening, learning about their growing spaces and of course hearing about their biggest achievements and fabulous garden fails, because we all have them. I hope you love listening to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants just as much as we enjoy recording. And if you do, it would really mean the world to me if you could leave us a review because it really helps to get the word out to more planty people and share these amazing stories. This season is sponsored by Akai Outdoor Wear, which if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that barely a day goes by that I'm not dressed head to toe in their clothing, which is really made to last. I live in their thermal outdoor skinny trousers during the winter, which are bramble proof, waterproof and wipeable, perfect for days at the farm or the allotment. I've certainly put them through their paces and have been so impressed with the comfortable fit and durability of each and every item. And I have quite the collection now. So if you're keen to add some Akai pieces to your wardrobe, they've kindly offered podcast listeners an exclusive discount. So head over to the website and use code DOALG20 for 20% off your orders over £50. This offer ends on the 31st of May 2023. In the final episode of the season, I got the absolute pleasure of chatting with Michael Perry, otherwise known as Mr Plant Geek, who I was very lucky to meet in person at Ellen Mary's Wild Wellbeing Retreat back in April. As soon as we returned, I bought his book, Quarters Curious, and I enjoyed it all the more for having spent three days in his company. Michael's an incredibly funny, intelligent and forward-thinking man, and I was very, very excited to have him as the final episode. It just felt like the perfect way to end the season. This conversation ended up being a little bit less about plants and more about going after the things you want in life, believing in yourself and overall not being afraid to be you. But don't worry, there's plenty of plant chat in there too, from tulip fields to jam-packed garden borders. I know that you are going to love this one. So enjoy! Hello Michael, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Not in a very glamorous location, just by the motorway, but you know, life on the road. <laughs> the light across your face, though, makes it look like a glam location. It looks like a, a Yeah. <laughs> I could have made a little bit extra effort and been in a bulb field for you because I'm in Holland at the moment. It's very yeah, disappointing. But there are streets away right now, so yeah. But I mean, no, if I've you... been having a really cool week here. So. If you could just pause and go and drive somewhere else that's more picturesque, <laughs> then that would be great. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... Tell us a bit about, I mean, I can't imagine that people don't know who you are, but tell us about you. Yeah, of course. I would never assume that everyone knows me. <laughs> and I think, I think part of the skill of all of this is never to believe your own hype. <laughs> so, yeah, let me explain myself then. Uh, my name is Michael Perry. Uh, I kind of started a pseudonym called Mr. Plant Geek uh, about six or seven years ago. It's not much of a pseudonym because basically Michael Perry loves plants as much as Mr. Plant Geek, so... <laughs> I don't know where um, where my spare time and my hobby kind of they they blur all over the place, but um, basically, yeah. You you want my whole history? I yes, please. Yeah? Every okay, granular cool. detail. <laughs> Every granular detail. Okay, strap yourself in. Uh, no, so when I was uh, young, I was gardening with my grandparents, and they were they were growing lots of chrysanthemums, dahlias. They had a really big garden and glass house, and of course, as a kid, I found this fascinating and. When you're young, you spend a lot of time with your grandparents because somehow you're, I don't know, for me, parents didn't want to spend time with me, you know, so I was like, I was at my grandparents a lot. 
but thankfully they were interested in plants and this was the thing that kind of rubbed off on me so I often wonder if they were into something else would I have followed that career but I, either way uh, I started learning with them and they were selling plants as well so they were also quite entrepreneurial as well so by the time I was I don't know even 10 years old I was selling plants at the end of the driveway at my parents place uh I joined the WI market when I was like no way well yeah I was uh the youngest member, I wasn't the only male <laughs> member, but I was the youngest member. And I always really enjoyed plants, but I also liked the kind of trading of it as well. So, yeah, I soon took over my parents' garden when I was a teenager. I was then um, running a little mail order herb nursery called Springfield Herb Nursery oh. with little adverts in the back of um, Gardener's World magazine as well. Uh, and then towards the end of school, it wasn't really... In those days, I, I think it's changed a little bit, but it wasn't really encouraged that you would go into horticulture. It was almost the thing that they said you should do if they couldn't think of anything else or if you were kind of, you know, impaired in some sort of way, which feels so so sad, this situation. But anyway, it was thankful for me because that was exactly where I wanted to be. So I joined a college course for two years, really, really general. And at the end of that, I kind of then uh, was a little bit lost and I happened to enter a local newspaper competition to design a garden at Thompson and Morgan. And then uh, I won the competition and a greenhouse and some seeds and, and basically wrote to them for a job. So that was then how I started my career at Thompson and Morgan. So that is a kind of a potted history of my earlier years for you. That's incredible. <laughs> Do you know, I didn't yeah. even know some of that as well. I absolutely uh -huh. love the, the entrepreneurial nature and winning a competition yeah, that yeah. Ch changed your entire life. <laughs> well, I, my parents never gave me any pocket money, so I think I had to earn my own money. <laughs> But it, it really gives you a, a really good work ethic. And, you know, I've been, um, I know we'll get there with, with the conversation, but I've been freelance for about six years now. And it kind of, I don't know, just by having that early uh, kind of awareness of earning money and kind of hustle, I hate that word, but it explains it. Uh, yeah, it just kind of really sets you up later in life in some way that you, you don't realize at the time, but it's just second nature to me now. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I think as well, it, it you have so much more value of things having worked for it. Yes. Like I had definitely. I had my first job at 14 and I went to Exeter in like the mm. nearest city and I had yeah. to pay for my bus pass. So yeah. I worked every day after college just to yeah. pay for the bus pass so I could go to this college. But and everyone was like, that's mental. One, why is your mum not paying for it? And two, why are you working uh, all those hours yeah. just to go to like learn elsewhere? Uh, that's so boring. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> What well, they said that then, or they would say that now, you mean? They said that then, but I think... Yeah, really? I'd been working for, like, two years at that point, and it was... Yeah, yeah. You, you really valued every penny. Like, the fact that after three weeks of working, mm. I had enough money to go to New Look and buy a dress at the weekend <laughs> was, like, the most exciting thing. Yeah. And then yeah, as you as you grow up and you start earning more money, I think that yeah. the value decreases because suddenly mm. you earn more money, and it's not... Like, you're, you don't get so excited about each and everything you buy because you're not having to oh, work as much or as hard definitely. for it. Definitely. It's almost like life has just got too easy now in many ways. You know, even in experiential as well. You know, we can do anything and go to lots of places. And, yeah, it's just, it's brilliant. But it's also, like, just too brilliant sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you say, yeah. it's so easy access. You can pretty much have anything yeah, yeah, you want yeah. at your fingertips. And we, ha we have no patience these days, mm. which I think I is why gardening is so important, because it really, you cannot rush yeah, plants. Yeah, to pull it back. Yeah, exactly. Because we really, um, yeah, we get everything straight away and we kind of don't really look forward to much now. But of course, with plants, you're right. You have to. 
Mm. Yeah, and I feel like this is the perfect time of year for this kind of conversation as well because it's yeah. it's just on the cusp of everything is about to burst. Um, mm. I loved your little garden tour the other day. It made me very happy seeing oh, yeah. <laughs> so much colour and like really like densely planted borders. It was just that yeah, real kind but... of signs of spring. Well, not the fact half my Acer is dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's died off. It's so annoying because even if like people are saying, oh, like trim it. And it's like, well, it's just going to look like some, <laughs> I don't know, bent over old lady if I trim it. <laughs> it's just going to look really Can you weird. Bonsai one side. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But you're, um, I'm glad you picked up on that because my borders are really densely planted. And this is, this is what I always wanted to achieve with the garden I created there. And it's really... Dense planting makes life so much easier for you because there are hardly any weeds in my back garden because where do they get a chance to grow? There are weeds in my front garden because this hasn't filled it yet, but it's really it makes it so easy. And I think uh, I, I really wish it was spring all year as well. <laughs> and just this kind of vibe of, I always wanted to have like lovely birch trees where the light filters through in the spring. And then you've got the, the tulips in kind of like little patches as well, which is, kind of almost drawing a bit from trips to Holland where they kind of obviously would grow them in trials, kind of in little rings, kind of little patches of different varieties and just having that intermingled with lots of other lovely spring, spring things coming through as well. It's just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I just hate the moment after that where it's kind of, are you, so are you dying away then you tulips or what? Like hurry up or don't hurry up or what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no, totally get that. And I yeah. think as well, it's so nice to see people really embracing the non-traditional, like nothing is like ornately, mm. like this must be exactly 30 yeah. centimetres away from each other and there must be symmetrical on each side and that very oh my God, I don't ordered take, gardening. <laughs> I don't take notice of any spacings for anything. Like even in... um. I guess I'm quite avant-garde in how I plant as a garden, even though it feels very natural and it's the most natural look and it's the best for wildlife as well. But it is weird that I, in the way I've created a garden, almost feels like the exception. But this should really be the rule. Yeah. Like full borders, lots of pollinators, kind of, you know, and the fact I haven't got any grass, like this centre of the garden is polished concrete, which you initially say polished concrete and then people are kind of like, oh, that's not very good. <laughs> but it's just, square a very neat concrete surrounded by billowing pollinator rich plants and it's just beautiful and the kind of space i always wanted to create so yeah i'm really um, i'm really pleased with it but the the bad thing is the time of year when it's then in bloom i then need to be away for work a lot or kind of looking at different things overseas so i'm kind of i need to set up some webcam or is that creepy i don't no, know <laughs> live stream your garden oh, michael please yeah. <laughs> That's an idea. That is really cool. Imagine uh, the time lapse of it as well through the whole of spring, seeing those bulbs yeah. like starting to open up and then dying off at the oh, end. Yeah. It would just be amazing. That's really cool. Oh, definitely. That's cool. Mm, maybe I ne will next time. Let's near do. us, they have like live streams at the beaches so that you can see how good the surf is. And I just feel like oh, really? so many, so many people oh. watch them and it's quite mm. therapeutic to just see what's going on. I feel like. The uh -huh. I guess that's no different to just sitting on a bench somewhere, is it? Yeah. 100%. Even though it feels weird, it's like, well, no, this is exactly what you do in real life. Just watch. <laughs> you just have to remember that there are people watching when you go out in the garden. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> You'd be like out in your yeah. pants in the morning having a little coffee and everyone's like, Michael. <laughs> uh, ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a bit about going back to your garden? Yes. Um, how you kind of planned the space, whether you planned it at all or whether it was a kind of work of art that just grew over yeah. time 
do you know what? I'm really, with everything I do, I don't know if this makes me sound like an idiot or not, but <laughs> I just feel very instinctive with everything I do. And even career choices and kind of work that I do, even even content that I create, it just kind of comes to me naturally because I think over the years I've really, um, this is part of, like we obviously met on Ellen's retreat weekend where she was obviously stripping it back to nature and kind of, uh, she had various treatments, but a lot of those treatments are basically about trusting your own instinct and kind of stripping away all your doubts in your mind. And it's kind of, it's how I've really been for many years. And I just know that, my instinct is usually right so listen to that and you kind of it's like you all you almost always know the answer you know or you always know what you want to do in the back of your mind you just have to kind of roll with it each time and it's and it's easier because it means less planning and less procrastinating anyway so anyway that was a long intro to talking about my garden <laughs> so i just i'd seen i don't know if you know Letitia McClough. she's a, a garden writer who lives in shepherd's bush in in london mm-hmm. And I'd always seen on her, like, uh, Instagram, she had this polished concrete area. And it was kind of like uh, two two layers, like, quite close with, uh, like, not, not too much of a drop between those two layers. And the kind of gullies, the, it was almost like two big slabs of concrete with kind of spaces in between where there were ferns and kind of planting. And so somehow this was just stuck in my head. And I also knew I needed a kind of deck, kind of like seating area. And somehow in my head I had it stuck on dark wood with the smooth side up even though both of these choices are really slippery and wet weather i didn't <laughs> mind i wanted it this is this is how you create a show garden you know you just have what you want <laughs> and that's kind of what what i wanted it to be kind of almost like a kind of i guess i'd been going to so many shows over the years chelsea hampton court blah 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 i kind of wanted to create that myself and that is why i densely planted all the borders because i wanted that real instant effect that feeling that you get when you walk into a show garden and and it's not that I planted loads and loads of mature things. It's just that I really planted it densely. And so it just filled in very quickly because you've got more plants. And obviously I helped things along by two big birch trees, but they were they were not so expensive when you actually kind of go and look. And and I have to say, it's kind of sometimes buying big is a real benefit because you get that instant effect. But I actually, I went really big with my Portuguese laurel at the bottom of the garden but do you know what? Sometimes when you plant big, the plants actually take so long to establish, so much longer than smaller plants. So actually, I came unstuck with Portuguese laurel because that has just sat there for two years and barely moved. Oh, and wow. I was really surprised with that. So, yeah, you have to kind of choose the right kind of species for that. And it worked OK with the birch because I think birch, you could just drop them anywhere and they suddenly grow. So, yeah, but it's kind of so a few things were mature, but most stuff was just quick quick filling and obviously densely planted as well so yeah it was always instinctive and I always knew I wanted that kind of spring vibe to it as well so kind of ethereal vibe almost yeah because that's kind of chilled relaxing but I also knew I wouldn't be restrained so kind of obviously extra plants have jumped in there and kind of honestly I'm really no one should listen to me for gardening advice because I really (laughs) plant stuff so closely and Sometimes I'm so impatient, I probably end up planting something on top of something else as well. And it's just like, oh my God, it's a bit manic, the planting, but it kind of works because it just, that's how nature would do it, you know, at the end of the day. 
<laughs> I'm so glad that you said that though, because I feel yeah. like never have I ever heard anyone talk about. It. They're like, right, you have to space everything super far apart and let it grow into its space, and then you've got all these people with new build gardens who have got <laughs> these tiny plants that are so sparsely well, spread out, and they're I know. Like, you've just got to see the vision. You've got to see the vision in like five years. This is going to look great, and you're like, but what about now? You can make it look great do... now. I do understand that. And I think in some ways I had easy access to like, you know, people would give me trial plants or kind of I'd bring some from Holland, which is like obviously better price in the garden center when you do. But also like when you have got smaller plants, I know people maybe can't afford to have the bigger ones. But even in in the meantime, you know, you could sow hardy annuals in those gaps while those shrubs are filling out. Like why not? People, people tolerate bare soil far too much. And this is not great for wildlife, you know. It's going to give you more weeds. So if you're someone that doesn't like weeds and you don't accept them as a given plant in the garden, <laughs> certainly don't give them any bare soil to set up home on. You know, it's kind of obvious. It's really, yeah. So you can fill in those spaces in the meantime, you know. So it's not always about going in instant if if that doesn't suit your budget or you're kind of a bit nervous to as well. But I always saw mine as kind of like, I just wanted to fill every gap immediately. And obviously in the back of my head, I was kind of like, well, this is not planting. This is kind of unplanting because <laughs> what I can do if things do get too big or they kind of jostle for space, I can always unplant it or put it somewhere else. And and I think this. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of my work in Japan with the Barakura English Garden. Uh, it's like a garden centre with a gardening school on the side. And I went there to teach them container planting, and I actually learned that they really densely plant containers and kind of they almost like evolve their containers through the season. So some things get unplanted, new stuff comes in, and so. I think kind of part of my density obsession kind of came from that as well. So yeah, it's really, um, you can always unplant it and gardens are to be enjoyed in many different ways, like over a long period, but also maybe short term as well. Maybe you unplant stuff or change it around. Certainly I'm in Holland at the moment and they are quite happy to make over their gardens, maybe once every two years, same as you would a room, but somehow you're, you're so emotional when something has roots on you know yeah. and you never want to throw a plant away and certainly in uk we're so kind of like emotionally attached to plants as well and you really you find this when you compare cut flowers to containers someone will spend 50 pounds on a bouquet of flowers with no no roots on but they wouldn't spend 50 pound on a container outside for their patio would they it's going to last like, for years <laughs> i want it to flower for six months non-stop you know they've got so many more demands the moment something's got roots on yeah and i find that so hard to understand because it's not logical you know but also there's always someone who wants those plants that you don't want especially like on the allotments you could literally give them away to about 30 different people yeah and even if you can't even if it's you know when people buy houseplants like calanchoe or chrysanthemums that are not really even designed to flower for a second time but they'll still be like they'll always have one in the back bedroom kind of like i've managed to get it to flower again like a real personal (laughs) achievement it's like well you kind of probably waste a lot of energy to do that, you know, resource. <laughs> Maybe that would be a good compost. <laughs> Sorry to say. But also, when people, it's great to rescue plants in this way, but also you've got to support the industry as well by buying plants because there's a lot of people's jobs that depend on that and, you know, vulnerable people as well. So kind of you have to think about it both sides of the coin, really. Yeah. Definitely. And there's also that toss-up of, like the hardy annuals are really easy to grow from seed and they yeah. you can do it cheaply and they grow really quickly. 
but some of the perennials take years and years and years to establish mm. so actually buying mm-hmm. the more established plants and putting that investment in is also just as worth it as buying those annual packs of seeds that are going to give you the instant color and kind of yeah, like earlier definitely. life or it could be that you're going to grow some first year perennials from seed as well and kind of i you know i've spent a few days here in holland going around the like the, the they call it the pack trials where you see a lot of the new products that are going to be chosen by the growers for the garden centers etc and you see a lot of first year flowering perennials because they're the ones that the growers want to have because they obviously they come into bloom sooner they're the ones that the landscapers use as well and these are ones that home gardeners could grow but i do find and i wonder what you think to this that kind of a lot of home gardeners and certainly ones that like would feature on instagram etc would don't always show new plants that they're growing and kind of I had a discussion, a really, really lovely discussion, not an argument by any terms, the other day with uh, the Mediterranean gardener about lavender. And he was talking about lavender hidcut. And I go out there and I obviously speak to a lot of different suppliers. They kind of bring it through new lavenders and kind of, you know, that are then selected to be disease resistant or stronger and la la la. And there are ones that are far superior to hidcut, but because it's got that name, we kind of won't move away from them. And and I was with Hillier Garden Centers the other week, and they were, they're were also puzzled that the old ones still sell when there are plants that are four times as good as them. And so I think there's a lot of education to be done on new plants and getting them into people's hands and showing them. And, and I don't know if you, um, in terms of veg, you know, a lot of people grow older veg when maybe there are newer ones that kind of perform better. What, what do you think? Well, I was going to say, I feel like people go to what they know. You know, like if I can name a flower, I'm instantly a bit more drawn to it because I know something about it. But I found with veg, I flipped between two ends of the spectrum. And I think a lot Mm. of people do. We have the people that are very much heritage variety growers who are trying to bring back some of the kind of old school ones. Mm. And then the people who just want like the new jazzy. Um, Mm. Thompson and Morgan in one of my first couple of years of growing released yeah. like a potato squash and one tasted like a baked potato oh, one yes, tasted yes, like yes. a mashed potato yeah. Yeah. and I was so excited about this and it yeah. was like the, one of the plants that I was most excited about that year uh-huh. and then now those seeds I've seen in quite a lot of other places I've seen lots of people grow them but I remember that first year when they'd gifted a load of the like gardening influence oh, right, those yeah. seeds and they'd sent them some of the fruits for them to like cook with at home and it was yeah like, I think it's amazing to know that there's still new stuff for us to discover and yeah. oh, to be the first people. So much to discover, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think 50 yeah. 50 in terms of like, yeah. sometimes want to go back to the like traditional. And it's really hard to not just go with what you like, what you know. Yeah. Not, yeah, not true, necessarily true. what you like because you don't know that you don't like it until you've grown it. But like, yeah. And if something is grown well for you. Yeah. Mm. As well. But I think sometimes we almost. Like we can all be guilty of not seeing the value in plants because I think in UK we don't really put much of a spotlight on the industry. We kind of see, we we imagine, and this is why I like to show machinery and kind of, you know, almost like robots in nurseries in Holland because we imagine that everything is just grown in a cute little potting shed somewhere yeah. in the countryside. And it's kind of, no, it's a real commercial world and especially for the demand of plants that you have now. So I want to show that as much as possible so that we recognize horticulture as an industry maybe as a career choice as well but also we respect it and we also appreciate the value of a plant as well because it's very easy to pick up a plant see that it's 12 pound and think it's not good value because somehow this living thing doesn't feel tangible to a lot of people it's kind of like what is just a plant 
it's this attitude. It's just a plant. Well, the plant is probably more important than you, you know? <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. We had so many conversations about this around Christmas when everyone's going, yeah. oh gosh, those cut, those like, Fresh Christmas trees are so expensive. And I was yeah. like, do you know how long it takes to grow a yeah, Christmas yeah. tree? Like, yeah. you're paying 25 quid for it. And that's yeah, taken yeah. someone probably at least 25 years yeah. to grow it, if not much, much longer, depending I, on how big it is. <laughs> but I always find it weird, people's perception of when something's too expensive. Like, what, what, what are you measuring it against? Like, how do you feel you know the value of this? And how would you know the value of this? You know? I don't know. It's really weird. Going back to your point on the horticulture mm. industry as a whole, though, I think this is a really interesting conversation topic, especially mm. like you said, how at school it was never really promoted as like a, no. I don't think a particularly desirable career choice. And even no. now. Was it, was it the same for you? Because obviously you're maybe half my age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that much younger. Um, but Did, Was there still that attitude for you then? Yeah, and I think it was very yeah. much like a, if you became a gardener, it's because you couldn't really do anything else. Not because you were super passionate yeah. about it or because yeah, you genuinely yeah. wanted to. It was yeah. kind of like a oh. career that you fell into because maybe you had a family member who ran a gardening business or yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. But I think even right. now, so many people yeah. see farming and farming, obviously the farming yeah. industry is in a particularly bad place, but they see the farming, agriculture and horticulture industries mm. as places where you don't make any money, you're working ridiculously long hours and very physical <clears throat> jobs for nothing. Mm. And I just don't think that it, I don't think it portrays what a lot of people's no. experiences are in the industry. Well, no, and, you know, granted there will be areas of uh, maybe practical horticulture that isn't as well paid as mm. it should, but it's also, you know, there are perhaps areas where it is well paid, but less seen because we all imagine a gardener is someone working in horticulture is an out and out gardener. And it kind of, it might be that you're working in PR for plants. It could be you're working on a TV program doing research. You know, it's, I think we don't realize how broad horticulture is as well. And the more we can show that is great too, but hopefully there's a lot more eyes on horticulture these days. And those, you know, there's a lot of people that are maybe considering careers and, and it always blows my mind, you know, if, you know, when I was, <laughs> hate to say this line but when I was your age you know it would have been really hard for me to find like-minded people yeah. you know whether my age or certainly not that were younger and so kind of even to be at the retreat the other weekend is kind of it's it was beautiful but it also blows my mind that all of these people that are younger than me kind of so passionate about plants and gardening and growing and kind of like I've got this kind of cocktail of feelings about it I'm kind of like really pleased that you kind of found it as well but I'm also really annoyed because it's like I told you so for years you know it's like I said this was cool and no one believed me no one it's, at school it's such a funny change like oh, shift of perception yeah. though I always yeah. talk about how Lots like cool. five, five years ago when I started my allotment yeah. everybody laughed at me and they were like when are you retiring really? and if I came into work and everyone's like what have you yeah. been up to at the weekend been on a wild night out woo woo and I was yeah. like, oh, I saved my carrots this weekend. And, and they'd be like, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Whereas now. What about now, though? They've got used to it. And yeah, now everyone's dead into people? it. Really? Uh-huh. I think that Instagram, like, in a way, it's quite sad because it's a shame that it's taken Instagram to change people's mind about it. But I think the fact that mm. the, the Instagram community has done amazing things for getting people into growing yeah. and oh, totally. showing yeah, yeah, that yeah. it is really cool and that there's so mm. much cool stuff to learn and I think showing how passionate and excited people are about it rather than it being Definitely. seen as a very traditional fuddy-duddy boring topic is amazing totally. 
why is it um why do you say sad that instagram did, why do we always feel guilty about social media i it's don't know you say that because think... it's such a knee-jerk reaction to feel guilty that social media has any positive benefit but yeah. as what's coach lists we've got nothing but praise really for instagram i have and nothing bad to say why about it of that yeah Word with yourself I think that's so true. Um, I think that is because for so many years we were told that it was a toxic environment and that it was ruining people's lives. But actually the gardening community... Yeah. 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 And also, there are always things that people can get addicted to, whether that is social media or stuff online or even real life, drugs, alcohol, you know. Um, People have the same choice as they do with real life addictions in a way. Do you know what I mean? And so... I think we certainly shouldn't feel guilty about what it's done for us, you know, and people have built careers around it. It's put a spotlight on horticulture. It's kind of, you know, boosted profits. It's really, yeah, it's a really good thing. Definitely. (laughs) And I'm glad you said it. And I think as well the the support network that has grown from it, particularly during COVID times. So again, at the retreat, I met um, Sam Happy Place Gardener and we yeah. have literally been speaking for years and the same with Danny Plot 81. We've oh, all the been friends for her? years. Yeah, I've never met any of oh, them in real life. Whoa, I didn't realise. But like, it was like we'd been best friends for years and we were yeah. all kind of like, share, like we knew everything about each other's lives and like yeah, life yeah, events yeah. that had happened and the happy times and the sad times. We knew everything. Uh, and so when we met each other in real life, it's weird that it's not weird that you've been speaking for so yeah. long, but you've never yeah. actually physically met. <laughs> but it is, yeah, it is strange because like it's now really normalised that you would meet someone through the internet. Yeah. Which is... Which is also cool. And like I think our knee-jerk reaction, again, is to feel weird and guilty about that. But no, it's just another way that you meet someone. And, and I think Sam said, she said the people she's met through the internet, she finds more genuine friendships because you're kind of based around your genuine interests at this moment. And maybe a lot of friends you have from the past are kind of, you know, you're friends with an old colleague or kind of friends from school. And you're kind of maybe sometimes running on nostalgia rather than things yeah. you've got in common with each other as well. So you can actually build almost maybe even in some cases superior friendships to what you would have offline, really. Mm. I think as well it does wonders for your own like self-esteem in that yeah. knowing that other people are super passionate about what you're super passionate about. If, like If I had that when I was your age, it would have been a whole different world. Because yeah. I was the only one and it felt really lonely. And certainly as a kid, you know, if there's kids now interested, they will not be they will not assume it's so weird or unusual. A hundred percent. Like the amount of times where I've had like a down day or something's not gone right Mm. or like even quitting my job, the amount of people that were there like cheering me on. Without that, maybe I never would have done it because it's that Mm. kind of like you've got support from people who understand what you're going into a little bit better. It's it's golden. It really is. And I think, um, how, how old were you when you first used the internet? I guess the internet was around when you're quite young or yeah so we had dial up when i was maybe like nine or ten i think okay yeah so i think probably i would class you the same as me as being that kind of in-between generation where the internet still wasn't dominating a lot of stuff in our lives so we also learned how to grow up uh, we also learned how to communicate in real life and i think we're probably one of the most fortunate generations because we know how to use the internet and meet people through the internet, but we can also do it in real life. And I feel that people, younger people might only have primarily the skills to meet online and not be able to hold a conversation in real life. I'm not, 
I'm not saying that will be the case, but I think you will find that a lot more. And our parents will not know how to communicate through the internet. So kind of, I think we're one of the best kind of uh, sets of generations almost. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that our generation mm. is not to champion us too much, but we've done so <laughs> many good things and changed a lot yeah. of like perceptions. And yeah, 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 even even some of it that we wasn't necessarily. Yeah, we, we're yeah. like the, a very balanced generation. And I think we've taken what we see from the older and younger generations. Yeah, And totally. there's just been so much that has happened in this kind of like little bubble of time. I mean, for me, the last five yeah. years has obviously been hugely life changing, but yeah like it's probably been years before that but it just really feels like mm. there's such a movement of people of yeah, our yeah. kind of demographic doing amazing things that you never would have believed you could have done five years ago and no one else would have believed True. you could have done it either yeah it's funny though because like also i think like some of the stuff that we did in the 80s you probably wouldn't believe you could do that in the 60s as yeah well. yeah you know, so i think there's always been big jumps and stuff but i think the jumps are more visible now because there's so much more noise uh we see a lot more kind of if you talk about the news you know there's always been a lot of bad news but now we are we're so exposed to it and we're kind of like reading what someone thinks about it on twitter we're also getting the update and the notifications and it's kind of like and sometimes things feel different or worse or more amplified but maybe it is the same we just know more yeah and that's the difference yeah but i think it's also interesting consider that yeah yeah i think it's also interesting how we have so much technology at our fingertips and Mm. you have all of that information yet a lot of people are now going back to kind of more traditional um yeah yeah. like more grounded things like that like that retreat you're going back to do things that people have been doing for years and years and years and are very disconnected Mm. from the technological world that we live in yeah, but definitely. we see it as well, the, the importance of it feels so much more important, despite the fact we still love and need all of those other things at this time. Yeah, yeah, makes totally, sense. totally, totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't post anything to Instagram that whole weekend because this, oh, the really? internet wasn't good enough. I oh, could yeah, share yeah, a story, yeah. but I couldn't yeah. reply to anyone's emails or anything. Yeah, so yeah. I would see a few notifications, but that was it. And it was quite a weird, like... Yeah. I was I was having the best time, but I also felt like I wanted to be sharing that in real time. And then I was yeah, like, it's weird. It's fine. It? It's yeah. fine to wait. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I kind of um I guess I've always approached that with balance. I mean, I can be in the room, but also not. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's part of our generation that knows how to be present, but also isn't always necessarily. And you don't have to be. Yeah. So going back to very interesting yes. chat, um, but going yeah, back to gardening, definitely. I'd love to hear more about your kind of career in the horticultural industry and how okay. how that balances with your hobby gardening. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I was obviously gardening a lot when I was a kid. Uh, started obviously the herb nursery, got the job at Thomas Morgan when I was eighteen because I was really shy up until like my mid twenties or maybe even late twenties, and. Uh, I guess plants was my thing. And when I was at school, for sure, I was kind of hiding behind plants, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just to kind of wind back to the beginning of the job, then I just I just wrote to them and asked for a job, basically. Because even though I was so shy, I was really happy to write letters and approach people in this way, which is kind of a really strange kind of, doesn't quite marry up. But anyway, they took me on as an apprentice. So I then was there in total about 18 years and kind of really learning the ropes. And it was it was always a dream job from day one because we were finding brand new plants and brand new products. And and in those days, we did a lot more promo around finding products and plants from customers as well. 
So in my first week at the job, I think I had to fly to Scotland and collect collect a star-shaped petunia, which was really amazing, <laughs> that had just grown in the customer's garden. And we had our own breeding program, like really comprehensive, about 50 different genus. And so we then did a deal with a customer. We often offered a commission on each packet and brought that back to then breed and create five colors of this star-shaped petunia, which, which sounds really fun. And of course, it looks very different, but a lot more weatherproof because, of course, the rain is falling between the petals rather than making the whole thing collapse like a big blouse lousy dress sort of thing so that was cool uh coming to holland for the first time in the first month at work i think and finding black flower delphiniums kind of putting together mixtures of you know a lot of hardy annuals that maybe you guys grow now ones that i selected with sahin or uh van hamer different companies in holland and we actually named them on the spot so if there's maybe some of you grow that i named and selected so That's yeah it was awesome. really an amazing job from this stage and and really uh, putting together probably about 60 products a year to put into the seed catalogs or plant catalogs. The plant range was really growing at this point. So I then was handed over the autumn catalog as a responsibility, which was, I don't know, about a 50-page catalog and really beautifully designed. And I was obviously involved in putting that together, finding the parts, writing the copy as well. Uh, at some point, maybe around the 10-year mark, I was encouraged i would say pushed into doing tv because we were starting to sell on a uh, qvc and we also used to produce a video catalog and i used to like uh, help on the production of that behind the scenes getting the samples together etc but i was the guy that was looking for the new plants i was the guy that put together like tom tato egg and chips plant kind of worked on the pr for plants like the black hyacinth the midnight mystic as well and basically they said well you you're the guy that knows the plants the most you know, go on TV and talk about them. So I started doing a little bit of QVC. My first TV appearance was Alan Titchmarsh show talking about the hyacinth, the black hyacinth. And it just kind of like, I guess, snowballed from there because when you're nervous to talk about something in public or stand up speaking about something, it's, it's so much easier when you know what you're talking about. And for me, it was coming from my heart because I'd found these items. I was knew them inside out. So yeah, it just kind of grew from there really. And I obviously gained more confidence, started doing more media work. And then at some point, just this was the point when social media has become more popular. And I just kind of realized there was, I wanted to have a bit of a mixed portfolio of work. And I kind of decided to then leave and go freelance. And this was the point where new companies like uh, Garden Tags was a new app. Uh, Seedball were just starting as well. And kind of I started to do a little bit of consultancy here and there and just just kind of grew and started to become more well-known. And, and social media, like, I don't know if you kind of, if you realize or notice, but I kind of don't really, I don't really run it to get follows or likes necessarily. Obviously it's nice when that happens, but really social media is a showcase for me of showing my work. And, you know, so then you'll be approached by a program or radio show and they kind of want to talk to you about what they've seen in your portfolio. So social media is almost like a visual CV in a way. And that is kind of what it has to be these days. And so, yeah, so I'm, um, all sorts of opportunities come along and I always push myself to say yes, even when I've got no idea if I can do it or not, because that's how you find out you can do it. And of course, you make it happen because we're not, we're not lazy people, you know, it makes sense. hundred <laughs> percent. And also, you never you know where the opportunity happen. might lead. Like you say yes exactly. to one thing and then it, there could be 10 incredible things around the corner. And also that feeling afterwards of knowing you were so nervous, like, even we just did this broadcast live for QVC over in Holland at the weekend. And I, 
I hadn't done this before. I easily could have been like, oh, no, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can do that. What is that sentence? That is such <laughs> a stupid sentence. Because, no, push yourself, pull it off. Why could? Why is there any reason on earth that you could not do this? You've got all the tools. You know what you're talking about. You know how to set this up. But, yeah, so I think I kind of got addicted to that euphoria that you feel afterwards when you knew you were nervous, but you did it anyway. That feeling afterwards is like, oh, my God, I just want that more and more. So then I want to say yes more and more. Yeah, I can totally relate. And do you know what? Yeah. I was also a really, really shy child. Like, to yeah. the point that, like, my first job as a KP, I couldn't yeah. speak to anyone. I just didn't really? speak. Really? Someone would bring what's me a, a cup K- of tea. What's a KP? Though, Sorry, a kitchen porter, like, pot wash. Oh, at, like, right. four, uh-huh. at, like, 14, I was yeah. a pot wash. And then uh-huh. by the time, because I worked in, like, a bar restaurant, by the time I got to, yeah. like, 16, I could just about talk to people. Oh, and then by the time you. I was 18, I was a bit of a gobshite and no one could shut me up. Oh, uh-huh. But, um, Two years it, to That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me a really long time to like fully grow in confidence, yeah. like to do other things. But it was probably only maybe 18 months ago that I yeah. started to believe that I could actually do things if I just tried. Yeah. Before I'd yeah. be like, I would just say no to everything because I, I was too scared of the failure or too yeah. scared of something going wrong. Did someone push you then? Or how did you bring it in into yourself? I split up with my boyfriend and it was, I split up with him and then Uh getting rid of the negative energy. Yeah. yeah, Suddenly everyone else, everyone else is kind of like, oh, you're doing something great. Like, this is great. You should do this. You should do this. Mm. I could suddenly hear what they were saying. And I was like, all that time I would be like, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And then I suddenly believed that I could try and not even that I could. I believed that I could try and was like, oh. You never know what might come from like sending a little email. And then I started sending a few yeah. emails and like what things what? happened. The, I find this, the more emails you send, like say you're going to reply for, I don't know, to do content for a hundred different brands. If you send off a hundred emails and you get two replies, does it matter? Who does it matter to? Like, why? I don't know why people, people get so upset when they don't get a reply or they get a no, but what? just move on, move on to yeah. the next thing, you know? And I've always kept myself really full because then you're not, then you're not sitting around wondering about what could have happened. Like, what? That's such a waste of energy. Yeah. Like, just keep moving forward. Don't look back, you know. And I'm never sitting around thinking about all the things that I didn't. Or or even, like, you might have an occasion where you, I don't know, you approach for some work and you price it up and it's not, and the budget doesn't meet or, or they want you to do it for free and you feel there should be a fee. And it's kind of like, if it doesn't work, just you just move on. And it's kind of like no hard feelings. And kind of people... I'm just waiting around to be offended a lot of the time and you just have to keep moving forward and like 100%. not every not every kind of job opportunity is going to work out or you know but we worry so much about what didn't happen and this is such a stupid energy to follow you know it's such a waste point? isn't it it is because we're actively jeopard jeopardizing yeah that's the word we're actively kind of like jeopardizing ourselves which is really mad and yeah. so at some point in the past, I kind of got around that. And I was like, well, why would I do that? But for me, it was um, it was my old boss at Thompson Morgan. And he kind of saw in me the potential and that he was always the one pushing me and encouraging me and saying, yes. And I love to do that to other people now. It's just, why wouldn't you? You know, a hundred percent. It's obvious. <laughs> All now... the good stuff, darling, is so obvious. But <laughs> the number of people that don't get it is just insane. You know, but it's, the, 
it does seem so easy to say though i say it to yeah, people now all the time my, my sister who you met at the retreat is terrible yeah. for it she tells me she can't constantly and it makes me yeah. so angry i'm like you but haven't tried you, you don't know that you, you can't yeah, <laughs> yeah. I but, know. Um, and it's not easy when you're in that kind of in that kind of vibe or in that rut necessarily i know but just by staying positive and kind of just just going along, moving along and being nice as well. You wouldn't believe how kind of that brings positivity and makes you feel good about stuff as well. Definitely. Yeah. Um, my thing for the last 18 months has been when if someone presents an opportunity or I'm thinking yeah. about something, I'm like, right, a year's time, what do I regret more? Having done it and it had having gone horribly wrong or having yeah, yeah. not done it and it, I don't know what might have happened. And every time... Yeah, yeah. I go for it and it like the worst thing that can happen is like someone says no mm. or well, yeah. like th there isn't actually a terrible outcome for any of those opportunities. Well no, I was just going to say what is your definition of going horribly wrong? What is that definition? Depends what it is. If someone said anything negative to me, it would haunt me for the rest of my life. No, I'm joking. Really, I think you have to yeah. learn to to kind of like absorb yeah. that sometimes people will say something that isn't yeah, what you want to hear. And it's not necessarily always a bad thing because it might push you in another direction or push well, you to exactly. change something that you hadn't thought mm. about before. Exactly. Well, a, a kind of little example that kind of rolls into that is kind of like, you know, my partner's from Poland. And so they kind of like they deliver information in a really different way. So if you walked in and you were wearing a scarf that didn't suit you. Yeah. Most English people are going to be like they, they either won't mention it or they'll kind of like, oh, you look great, hon. Right. Love your scarf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but in his culture, he would adamantly immediately tell you if the scarf didn't suit you, right? So he would tell you the scarf didn't suit you. So ultimately, when you pull this apart, who is being kinder? It's the person giving the honest answer, isn't it? Yeah. So any type of feedback, even if it is negative, you, you build on it, you learn from it. And, and it's usually, coming from a good place as well you know? absolutely yeah. there's so much to be learned from it i think yeah definitely and we're really we're so offended by feedback in our culture and it's so silly because whatever someone like i did some workshops at camden garden center and there was a, a lady afterwards who came up and she said oh, i was really great but i think you spoke a bit too quickly and i kind of i could feel it myself and like you have to always keep reminding yourself with these these feelings and practices and i was like this feels a bit rude but actually then I kind of like I quickly thought in my head like no this is actually really helpful thank you yeah I think you're absolutely right actually and people don't say these things just for the sake of it they say it because mm -hmm. they want to give feedback so yeah kind of it's really I was really thankful for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again something I've never heard anyone talk about you know really well yeah. feedback being good yeah negative feedback yeah. being a like we all well, take it as it like a soul crushing or... but why because that is not going to help you no. so why why would you do that to yourself you know it doesn't make sense yeah. i think because we're a breed Draw of overthinkers from it. yeah well i think i'm the opposite of an overthinker and that can get me in trouble a lot but <laughs> it also means you don't second guess mm. and i think uh i don't know I just say yes. There's no such thing as maybe because when someone says maybe, that is just their way of working out how to say no. 
Yeah. It's just like a slow, and maybe is a slow no. <laughs> I hate the word maybe so much. If, yeah. if I could ban one course, word, yeah. maybe. <laughs> oh, dear. and phlegm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, no, but it, but it just, I don't know, somewhere over the years, I just found that this stuff is just kind of logical. And don't make yourself feel worse about things than you need to. Because you're only doing it to yourself. And positivity really does breed positivity. It really does. And it gets you far. Of course, because then you're the person people want to spend time with, they want to work with, because they know you're doing a nice job and you're nice to work with and you're positive and you're kind of not then being offended or kind of kicking off if they don't give you the price you were looking for or this or that. Just be nice. and. And deliver the work on time. Do what you'll say you'll do. And just this. But darling, it's so simple. But the number of people that don't get it gives us the edge, you know? It's funny, really. <laughs> Even the turning up on time thing, it's just mad, really. The number of people that can't organize themselves for that little bit of, it's about respect to the other person as well, you know? Yeah. Just get it right. And it will just set you off so, so well. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so... I know that we're going to run out of time soon, so I definitely need oh, to ask about... Such a good about... chat. <laughs> it's such a good chat. I cannot yeah. wait to actually listen to this back. <laughs> um, cool. So you have to tell me about Holland. Obviously, you're in Holland right now. How has your trip been? What are the, the amazing things you've seen? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so kind of uh, with my freelance job now, I do, I do work with QVC, so I sell things on the telly. Uh, but I also create content for different brands, like maybe breeding companies in Europe. Uh, also do different like daytime TV, bringing like plants, tips, all of that, and uh, website and social media. So kind of while I'm here, I've really been just an awareness trip because I really I love to learn what's happening in the industry, what new products are coming through. I want to share that with an audience as well. So I write a lot on Substack these days, kind of new plants news to highlight the industry, kind of you know, almost at the same time as highlighting the industry, pitch myself for doing work for those companies because they can see what you can do as well. So kind of just just showing stuff off in horticulture, really. So, yeah, it's been, uh, well, firstly, at the weekend, I did this outside broadcast for QVC that I was SH1-ing myself about, but it <laughs> turned out all right. SH1-ing, that's cool. <laughs> um, laugh at your own jokes. That's step one to success. <laughs> Love it. The um, self-confidence is enviable. <laughs> um, and so uh, we did this broadcast, which was cool. And I easily could have not done it because I might have doubted myself, but I didn't. Uh, uh, and then it's been the spring pack trials, which is, like I mentioned, where a lot of the growers kind of uh, grow their new products. And it's a really, like, we we don't realise, and even I don't realise after many years in the industry, how much goes in behind the scenes to growing these plants to get them ready to sell in the garden centers because of course to get things growing in the pack they've got to be varieties that are they can't use any chemicals to keep stuff small these days so it's got to be naturally small when it's growing in the pack you know like the six pack of uh kind of module trays and then it needs to be like the the kind of brilliant kind of uh middle ground for any variety is that it stays small in the in the pack but then will grow really nice and big in the garden so it's a real science behind this it's also about whether that plant needs heat to grow, whether it's going to be two weeks earlier, which means the nursery can then clear the bench and grow something else. It's also got to be a distinctive color. When they look at the series, they kind of got to have it all uniform because suddenly if you're growing a, you know, a pack of six petunias, if you've got a blue, the 
a foot taller than the rest is not going to work. So, so much that goes into it. And it's really, it's a world that I hadn't really been exposed to when I was working in mail order because with mail order, it doesn't matter because you're sending a small plug plant. doesn't have to look good on the garden center bench. So it's a really, really different world. So I had a really cool conversation at a strawberry grower this morning talking about, because he raises strawberries from seed for supermarket sales but also for nursery growers that sell into garden centers, but also for packet seed companies as well. So really, really different criteria that he selects. But even down to the fruit itself, it's not just about sweetness, but the bite, the crunch, the texture, the feel, you know, it's so interesting. So I just, I just here to learn, kind of quietly pitch myself for business with those places as well, but predominantly just to learn and share and just because I really, really enjoy it and there's so much to learn. And yeah, and it's Holland is really a hotbed for a lot of that as well. And yeah, it's really good to spend some time here. And I would love to make some sort of trip where you actually then visit suppliers and stuff. So yeah, I know Lizzie did it with the with the Kirkenhof and like a bulb grower. Yeah. But I think you could also do that with maybe some of the different to see different machinery and this and that, because we don't appreciate in UK how how commercial world of horticulture works. And and it'd be great if we did a little bit more as well, because I think we wouldn't only value the industry more, but we realize have a bit more realism in our approach to it as well sometimes. So, yeah, that yeah. would be awesome. Something mm. I would have never considered before, but that would be incredible. Yeah, 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 totally. So hmm. cool. Good what idea. a fun trip. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I absolutely love about you, about, uh, about you Michael, is yeah. you, you literally are the biggest plant geek I've ever met. Like your pseudonym no, and you there's are loads I don't know, honestly. Well, no. I've obviously not, not met the others in person, but <laughs> listening to you talk, I feel like a sponge. It's like I aspire yeah, to be your level of just brilliant. No. I've always been really interested in things that are different. Even when I was young with food, I would go along to Holland and Barrett and buy rice milk or blah, blah. And this was way before anyone was drinking rice milk or almond milk or any of these as well. So, but no, and that kind of carried over into my plant interests as well. And so even when I look at, um, look at plants and because, you know, ultimately, like I don't want to shock anyone, but I'm not really a horticulturist. You know, I kind of did a two year course in horticulture, but I'm not by any stretch RHS qualified or any of this because really I grew up in Thompson and Morgan kind of it's a marketing career primarily so of course I know how to grow stuff but there are hundreds thousands of people that can do it better than me and can advise better than me as well so my specialism is really new plants innovation different ways to use plants as well so you know I can look at a plant and know how I can promote it in a different way sometimes and but that is a yeah. very specialist skill do not undersell yourself Michael. yeah yeah but it's not it's not necessarily about growing it or kind of showing you how to you know prune a black current so it's really yeah, it's, it's the knowledge of, of marketing yeah. of a whole a whole exciting world that i think yeah. like you say a lot of people don't necessarily know about well, yeah well yeah i was talking to ellen white we need to really grow more new plants and Maybe even it's my responsibility with some of the growers to get more new plants into influencers' hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and to kind of get them to test them against the other plants and really get the results. Because I guess where I see my role is really, alongside other things, is being a conduit between the industry and the consumer because the industry has never had this access to consumer before. And there are always so many people in the chain. There's buyers, there's, you know, uh, planners, 
and the message gets you know mangled and Chinese whispers in between of what the consumer really wants, mm-hmm. and we assume a lot, but now we can find out, we can ask them, and also the consumer sees the insight with the industry as well and the suppliers. Yeah. The world is our oyster. I know, I know. Anyone can contact anyone. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> um, and so obviously when we got back from the retreat, because I was missing you so much, I ordered your book yeah. the, day, the day that I oh, returned. Thank you. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> and it arrived just as Tanya had come round and we sat down and yeah. we flicked through it together. And it is just... <laughs> We we were like fangirling over it, being like, "Oh my god, uh, read it in Michael's you voice!" Said you were <laughs> it in my voice. <laughs> so it's such oh, a you yeah. book. Like I don't know many people yeah. who have read their books and been like, "I can really like I can really? see that you've written that book." Whereas I feel like really? when you read through it and uh-huh. like the what are they called the X rated plant section, yeah, we were just absolutely howling. It's one of those books where uh-huh. I said to my mum. Everyone who is yeah. like a writer always goes, I didn't want to write just another book about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But that was the first book that I've read and gone, that isn't just another book about plants no. or gardening. Well, or... I, I really wanted this to be fun and to write about plants in a really not serious way because like botany can get really serious, take yourself far too seriously and not explain it in real terms. So I wanted to do that. And I also didn't want to do a me too or kind of like, I'm not in competition with anyone, you know, at the end of the day. And it's like, and I just wanted to write something that anyone could pick up and bring them into our plant world, because that's what I've kind of been really obsessed with over the last 10 or so years is bringing people into horticulture from different areas. So that's why, that's why we did a grubby gardener's calendar. That's why I did a t-shirt with Rubus Cockburny anus on because people laugh at plants so it's like okay you're laughing at plants but you've got plants in your attention now so i'm going to bring you in or maybe people that want to cook with different plants or plants uh you know like uh i don't know stripy beetroot that you have to grow because you can't buy it in the supermarket so pull those people into the plant world or artists and yeah so i've always wanted to just make it as accessible as possible and yeah i guess that's what i hopefully have done with the book so i'm really pleased definitely and I think it's great as well because like you said with the horticultural industry in a very traditional sense it's a lot of technical words if you use a latin name with certain people they instantly switch off and they're like oh no I can't do that because that like I don't understand the latin names but why yeah and And it's so exciting to learn about I know but it's the thing that really alienates people from our industry and turns them off and it's crazy because that is the opposite of what we want to do which Absolutely. I can never get my head around it. Yeah, it's mad. But whatever way we can get people in, this is what I always say when I'm running like workshops or like mini gardeners club. It's like, it doesn't matter how people have been become interested in it in the first place. So for me, it was, mm. I was given an allotment because someone needed me to have a hobby. So I wasn't cross that they were playing golf all the time. Yeah. And I never uh-huh. would have been interested in gardening if I hadn't have yeah. been given that gift as a Christmas present that was okay. kind of super thoughtful, but also a bit backhanded. Um, (laughs) so you just I think it's whatever sparks someone's excitement whether that's a super Mm. unusual plant whether it's like a a new food that they've never seen in the supermarket or even something just like a purple carrot when people go oh did you know that carrots used to be purple blah 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 exactly which you think everyone knows by now but then people see them and they're like oh this is incredible and then they get excited even the tomato shortage the amount of people that have said to me that they're going to get into growing after the tomato shortage yeah 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 it's unreal It's so funny. And it is, yeah, we should never be ashamed of the different routes that people come in. And and sometimes, you know, people would think it's kind of, I don't know, smutty or laughing at plant names or this, but it's not. We 
bring people in in many different ways. You know, I think horticulture is fab, but sometimes it takes itself a little bit too seriously. Definitely. <laughs> it's meant to be fun. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it does sound like you've got quite a good balance, and correct me if you do feel differently, mm. but between like your garden, which you love and enjoy, and which is your kind of like haven space, but also mm. your career, which you love and enjoy as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think it's um, it's really strange because like I work weekends, and so like uh, obviously often with QVC, so I look at my diary and I then see if I've got then stuff in the week, and then if I've got extra days, I'll then book something in, and then suddenly I'm like, oh, you're working every day. <laughs> but then it's like because I enjoy it as well. It's like it yeah. doesn't feel like work because you know my career is also my passion. Because it turns out, not my, it turns out that on my day off. I would also go and look at some plants anyway. So, hello. <laughs> it's a whole personality gardening. I know. <laughs> I think we talked about this at the retreat as well, where we were saying yeah. about how it's mad how many people have jobs where they're they're just kind of an okay level of happy and they don't yeah. really aspire yeah, yeah, to do yeah. anything Definitely. better. And as much as I'm sure that it must be nice in a way to feel that way, I just cannot mm. imagine being in a job no. that I don't really love and not thinking, yeah. right, what? where's my next move what am I how am I going to make yeah. things better for myself and how am I going to find something because, that I really love I know because anything's possible and even you know more and more these days because now we can approach anyone we could even dm something we a company on Instagram and ask for an apprenticeship you know same as I did all those many years ago it's possible now and even easier you know because if you've got your portfolio in inverted commas ready to look at you you're already halfway ahead so yeah just don't and don't worry about when people say no or maybe or this or that. Just move forward, move forward, move to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait for all of the messages at the end of this episode where people can be like, I'm so inspired. I've quit my job. No. I've applied for this job and messaged this person. Oh, well, don't hold me responsible if you quit your job before <laughs> you message the next person. Yeah, <laughs> Do it in the right order, please. <laughs> these, sometimes these things, things happen for a reason, you know. You never well, know when is... you're ready to quit your job. <laughs> Well, I know, but like I said at the beginning, it's about following your instincts because you very often know what you should do, but mm. you ultimately don't follow the advice that your your heart is giving you. Sometimes. 100%. Yeah. I have been a terrible one for it. And I didn't even no. realize that I had like proper gut instincts until recently and something happened and I was like, I knew that that uh -huh. was not going to go well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've but I don't know why I went and did it. Know? Yeah. 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 You just, I always think it's just nerves. I think it's not, it's not yeah, yeah. saying it's a bad thing. It's me going to be just being a bit nervous. So. Everything is a learning as well, isn't it? So even if you don't follow the gut instinct, it goes wrong and it goes like this or blah, blah, blah. It's still, you learn from that because you'll maybe follow it next time. Yeah. 100%. So, so we're coming very close Ooh. to the end of the episode, <laughs> but a few questions still to throw in. Yeah, so I could definitely sure. continue for another couple hours. Um, hey. One... What are the things that you're super excited about that are coming up this year, whether that's plants, activities, events, whatever you're excited about? Well, I don't know. I'm excited about everything all the time. <laughs> I don't Good answer. Really, I think, uh, I don't know if that sounds ungrateful or what, but I don't ever think that far ahead because I very much live in the moment, I guess. And yeah, putting all my energy there. And I think sometimes we spend a lot of time as humans kind of always looking forward to stuff and not realizing we're actually in a cool moment right now yeah. as well. And, and as a little kind of um, like, what do you call it? Sidebar for you right now. That's why I don't believe in five-year plans because I think we often then 
we spend five years looking forward to the end of the five-year plan when we hope that everything will be in place. Yeah. And it's like it's like when you don't do your homework until a Sunday, like 9 p.m. That's what a five-year plan's about because you just you just try and like hustle it all together like in year four or something. So I don't believe in kind of planning ahead. Um, what did you ask me? <laughs> what were you excited about? But you've yeah, kind of well, answered that in everything. I, I felt it's important to deliver you a sidebar of knowledge. Yeah, um, that is... A good what one. am I excited about? Well, I'm in Italy next week for the Autocola, which is like a flower show billed as being like the Italian Chelsea. Uh, and I'm actually judging at that show, which Ooh. should be pretty cool. Um, and then after that, Flower Trials is in Holland in June. That's always quite big. Various different content I need to create between that then and there. Obviously, QVC, we've got now more regular shows on the Style Channel, which are a lot more dynamic with kind of a lot more interaction and demonstration, which is a lot, it's almost more like a gardening show. It's a lot less salesy because mm-hmm. we actually talk a lot more around the plants, the the techniques and stuff like that. So yeah, loads of cool things really. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all exciting. Cues. I know, I know, but that's the way to approach it, you know? Yeah, 100%. Because even, even stuff that I wouldn't look forward to, I'm still, I'm still not, not looking forward to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And isn't it funny how I feel like every person I've met in like a professional sense in the last yeah. year, everyone goes, right, so what's the five-year plan then? What are your financial forecasts for no, this and the other? And you're like, well, I'm just excited about like what's happening yeah, now. exactly. I think a five-year plan is great if you're someone that isn't able to focus. But I believe, I don't know, I believe you kind of build well on the way to that five-year plan mm. and maybe you've got an idea of where you want to get to yeah like a but vision maybe, but maybe you kind of change your mind and I think sometimes having this set plan means that you don't deviate you don't notice opportunities that are popping up along the way you know yeah. at year one or year three or year four and a half whatever and yeah I, I really don't believe in it and I've never had a big plan never had a big plan at all and, and also, it's turned out pretty yeah. well <laughs> well yeah and also like everyone's always got this like they always think like, oh, to present for Gardener's World as then like the ultimate goal and the plan, but not necessarily because there are lots of different things you can aspire to as well. And it's not, yeah, it's funny how, um, yeah, everyone's kind of got these five-year plans working to the same goal. It's kind of like, no, just do what you're happy with and certainly don't overlook the cool stuff that's happening right now in front of you, you know, because yeah. you're always looking forward. Don't do it. Also, <laughs> I think sometimes we hype certain things up in our minds and we'd, you, yeah. you expect something yeah, to be like the pivotal definitely. moment in your life definitely that you kind of like no other moment matches up to it yeah, you're like, but when totally. I it's like pe- people uh, who are losing weight yeah. when they go but when I'm thin I'm gonna do this and when I'm thin yeah. I'm gonna do that and when yeah, I exactly. hit this goal it's kind of mad in a way it's like or oh, when I'm thin I'll be happy yeah but you might not be you could, and maybe but you, you also could be happy before you forgot about this yeah it's really yeah it really frustrates me and I don't know how I busted out of that at some point but I don't know I guess because I at some point I just started following my instincts and part of not having a five-year plan is by following your instincts along the way as well and realizing that cool stuff is happening you never know what's coming next either absolutely oh I feel so riled up (laughs) (laughs) in a good way in a good way in like a I'm gonna go out and yeah revved up yeah riled up means annoyed no Oh, does Where it? I come from, it does at least. Yeah. Oh, I say riled up all the time, and I mean like amped, like let's go. Oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, definitely no. not in a negative way. In a, in yeah, a, I'm, I'm cool. buzzing, as they say it down south. 
Oh, Bazarama. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. It's such a cool chat, honestly. I, I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you for your time. Oh, that's um, cool. No worries. I, before you go, can you tell everyone where yeah. they can find your wonderful adventures and learn all about the cool plants that you get to see all day, every day? Of course. I guess the primary uh, platform is Instagram. Uh, and I really love this podcast, actually, because there are a lot of podcasts out there and kind of a lot of people start them, kind of lose interest, finish them, or kind of a lot of them kind of end up doing similar things. But I love how you've picked out and kind of you are interviewing kind of like a lots of interesting people that are primarily kind of obviously come to prominence through Instagram. And because yep. you actually lead your descriptions with their handles. And I think that's really cool. And it's very distinctive as well. It's really nice to hear those extra stories behind a lot of those people. And what fascinates me um is when slightly different to what you talked about earlier is kind of when people have got a career that is very different to what they do in their evenings. Yeah. Which has been something to do with plants and Instagram and horticulture. So I love that. Oh, um, thank you. So my Instagram is Mr. Underscore Plant Geek, <laughs> which is the same on Twitter. Um, my website is quite a good bet to go to, mrplantgeek.com. It will lead you to all the other spots. Um, don't underestimate the power of a website either. A lot of people nope. have lost that over the years. Also but love actually, the new the um, new newsletter. Love the newsletter that yeah, I got the other yeah. day. Substack, interesting platform as well, because this is a way to do newsletters and kind of it almost works like a social media platform and you're completely in control of your own content and your algorithm as well, which is interesting. So I'd recommend anyone to look into that if they really want to be maybe a bit more future proof with it. I don't know. I'm gonna check I'm it. I'm really out. yeah. I've always been happy to kind of like test drive new platforms like sometimes they just don't work out but you kind of have to give them a go and kind of try and be an early adopter if you can so i remember there was a new platform called stereo where people do a little almost like radio broadcast yeah. and i was i remember spending ages telling ellen this was the next big thing and it didn't become the next big thing but there's no shame on me there was one <laughs> you have to you have to try it. you have to try and push these things 100 you know? <laughs> percent. there was one i don't know what it was called like vero or something and i was working in oh, social right. media marketing at the time yeah. and yeah. we were like this is going to be the next big thing it's going to blow up uh-huh. and then i think I the app the app crashed one day and we could never use uh-huh. it again and we were like yeah. oh maybe not yeah but you have to just have a go just try yeah. it because you never know and also 100%. like added to this um like nugget of wisdom like we should always act as if instagram closed tomorrow yes as well you know Absolutely. because a lot of us kind of rely on there too much and that's why you will find i've got a website that appeals to a different demographic and i've obviously got facebook which is really popular with a different demographic we mm-hmm. often you know think past facebook but there's a lot of importance to that still and yeah to kind of make yourself future proof and not have all of your bantams in one basket you know so, i think it's fun to do new things yeah. as well and totally, which actually totally. brings brings me on to a final bit of news which is that yeah. this is actually the last ever diaries of a lady gardener podcast episode. yeah Oh my lord! Why? Which is it's kind of sad, but I just feel like I've I've like I've loved doing it for two years, yeah. and I feel like I I've loved this episode. This episode makes you want to not quit, uh, but I just feel like it's come to a natural point where it's kind of it's done what I wanted it to yeah, do, and I feel like, like I've. It's like when steps split up; they split up on a high. Do you remember? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. No, absolutely love steps. Had the steps gold um, CD yeah. when I was uh-huh, a kid. Yeah. But you have to. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point actually. Yeah, to know when you've done something really well, 
and that and then move on to the next thing yeah yeah so, and i'll forever yeah. be grateful for the experience and i, I would mm. love to do another podcast again one day in another format but yeah i'm happy cool. that it's ended on such a high and that it's kind of it feels almost like the start of something new because I have yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. I suddenly have That's another really bubble cool. of time to do something. And it's a kind that of I nice showcase for. that is there as well. And yeah, we're only on series twelve of the podcast with Ellen because she begs me every <laughs> season. She's ringing me. She's ringing me on the house phone as well. It's just like incessant. Honestly, she's really hard to handle. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. Ellen is wonderful. Oh, uh, she's a melon. <laughs> <laughs> We love her dearly. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has honestly just been so fab. You made it to the end of the episode, which means you must have enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd be ever so grateful if you could head to your favourite podcasting app to give us a follow and leave us a little review, which helps to get these stories out to more amazing planty people. If you've got any questions or stories you'd like to share, find me over at Diary of a Lady Gardener on Instagram. And don't forget to head to Akai for some fabulous new outdoor wear using the code DOALG20 for 20% off your order. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! Happy growing!